baseball fans, welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There's no offseason, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from a Sully Baseball studio in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. Today's date that I'm recording this is the 30th day of May. Chances are, if you're listening to this, uh, the first, you know, chances are you listen to it either today or on the 31st day. It's the end of May. It's the end of May, and we have moved on from what I have called the first checkpoint of the season. How are you doing so far this year? Well, it's difficult to tell if you're, you know, you got two-thirds of the season in front of you, but this is the first point that I think a team should take a good long look in the mirror and say, all right, what are we? Now, there's going to be some teams that you expected to contend and are contending. And there's going to be some teams that were expected to stink and will stink. And in those situations, you're looking at teams that are like, okay, we're pretty much who we thought we were going to be. And I, I think there is some method to the madness about picking you know, right around... Uh, Memorial Day weekend as the first time to take a look at who the teams are. Because just a few weeks ago, or just like, you know, really just a, 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 you know, a week or so ago, the Cleveland Indians were sub 500 and allowing teams like the Tigers and an underachieving Twins team hang around and say, oh my God, are we going to have a sub 500 team win the division? Well, what happened? Including today's game where Corey Kluber just was dominant. The Indians went on a winning streak. They're now four games above 500, which is, you know, not great. But it's also like, relax, folks. This team is going to be, it's going to be okay. They're going to have a winning season. They're not a sub-500 team. They may not be the 100-some-odd win team that they were last year. They're on pace to win 86 games. And which may be enough to win the division. And, you know, I was thinking about this. The Remember the, the Cardinals throughout the 2000s kept putting together really good teams, 90-win teams, 100-win teams, and they couldn't win the World Series. They only won one pennant along this great run. And then in 2006, they stumbled into the postseason with 83 wins, looked like looked terrible, and that was the team that went on to win the World Series. So look at this Cleveland team be the one that wins the World Series with only 80-some-odd wins. But do you know what? The Indians, with all as horrible a start as they had, are at the you know, right around the one-third mark with a winning record and very clear what they have to do. Their bullpen is in shambles. The thing that nearly won them the World Series in 2016 is a mess, especially with Andrew Miller hurt. And their bullpen is in tatters. So if they go out and they, you know, teams dangle relievers out there, the non-contenders, you know, dangle the relievers, and maybe there's a few starters who they could acquire, like a Francisco Liriano, who you're saying, hey, guess what? Your job is to pitch two or three innings in the middle of the game. If they fix the pen with two-thirds of the season left, as badly as they played all year, they're on an 86-win pace. They'll probably, you know, they could, you know, correct the ship and make themselves a, you know, a 90-some-odd win team. 
It's This is the sort of checkpoint you're looking at, and you get a clear picture that you couldn't get at the quarter mark. Another example is in the National League East. As I'm recording this right now, the Atlanta Braves and the Washington Nationals are tied. Now, the Mets are playing them are playing Atlanta, and they have a lead late. But if you've been seeing how the Mets have played recently, they'll probably blow that lead in the ninth. But as it stands, we look back a couple, you know, a few weeks ago, if I went by the one-quarter mark, the Nats were trailing Atlanta and Philadelphia and kind of neck and neck with New York. And now it's a market correction. The Nats are on a six-game winning streak. If Atlanta loses... The Nats will be in first place all by themselves, probably be in first place all by themselves going into June, which is exactly where everyone thought they'd be. And despite all the underachieving going on in Washington for the first third of the season, guess what? They're on a 96-win pace. And they haven't even played their best baseball yet. So there are some things that remain surprising. Despite the fact that they've won seven of their last ten games, the Dodgers are still sub-500 and are trailing the first-place Colorado Rockies by four games in the loss column. Obviously, you bring back Kershaw. You know They have a good middle third of the season. The Dodgers are in a situation where the middle third of the season is going to dictate what kind of team they are. Same thing for Arizona, who, with their spectacular start, are now one game above 500, and the Colorado Rockies, with their 30 and 25 record, are in first place. Uh, the Yankees and the Red Sox. I'm still not watching the Red Sox with Stephen Wright, but neither the Yankees nor the Red Sox have 20 losses so far. They both have 17 losses, so they'll both go into uh, uh, June with fewer than 20 losses. Both teams, the Red Sox, have played more games. They're tied in the loss column. The Red Sox are four games ahead in the win column. Both teams, the Red Sox are playing 696 level ball. What is that? If projected over an entire season, that's 112 wins. Do I think the Red Sox are a 112 win team? No. I think they are a 90-something win team. I think the Yankees are a 90-something win team. And at the site of the first third of the season, it's a damn coin flip which team will win the division. You can make the argument the Yankees have been a stronger and more impressive team, especially how they've been playing the Astros head-to-head, and yet here they are, the Red Sox have more wins. And Houston, like, look at I don't know what's going to happen tonight. Seattle is playing. If Seattle wins, they'll tie the Houston Astros. I don't think the Astros are going to lose this division. I still think the Astros are the best team in baseball, especially if they get one more reliever and one more hitter. This team will easily win the West. The strange thing is the Seattle Mariners have been all but unstoppable since Robinson Cano got suspended. So when you talk about, you know, you talk about the teams you're expecting to contend, Washington, Houston, Boston, New York, and then you see the teams that are supposed to be bad, like Baltimore was supposed to be bad, Kansas City is supposed to be bad, Chicago White Sox are supposed to be bad, you know, the, the Marlins were supposed to be bad, the Reds are supposed to be bad, the Padres are supposed to be bad, and guess what? They're all bad. You know, you're the, this is, 
it's not a small sample size. A third of the season is not a small sample size. This is what you were expecting them to be. This is what they are. Now, the thing for all those teams that I just mentioned, Chicago, White Sox, Reds, uh, Padres, Marlins, uh, White Sox, Royals, and Orioles, the thing that makes those, te- those teams interesting right now is they should be offering players up right now because they're not going to win. They're not going to win. So therefore, the chance of saying, hey, you can have a, one of our quality players for two-thirds of the season could only help matters. The interesting thing is when you look at some of the teams that are caught in the middle. Tampa Bay, every once in a while, goes on a spurt. They're on a four-game winning streak right now, or an above, they're above 500. You know, the, the AL Central has been so... The, the, the wins have been so few and far between in the AL Central that it allows teams like the Tigers and the Twins to hang around. It just, you know, it requires just another losing streak by Cleveland, and all of a sudden they're contenders again. The Oakland A's, kind of similar to what the Rays are, is that every once in a while, they go on a little burst, and they say, oh man, we're above 500. Seattle completely bewilders me, because you you take Robinson Cano out of the lineup, and all of a sudden they're spectacular. But the National League remains the league where, you know, the teams are all bunched together. You know, I mean, it's early to look at the wild card, but if you look at the wild card, you know, as of, you know, you would have Atlanta, Philadelphia, Chicago, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, and Arizona are all within four games of each other for the wild card right now. So all of those teams, and none of those teams I just said are powerhouses. So all of those teams have the chance to look up and say, huh, maybe we can go for it this year. Which is why if you're one of the bad teams that are out of it now, you should be dangling from them right now. And see if you can get more from a desperate fan base, from a team that says, man, if we fill this hole now and have it filled for two-thirds of the season, who knows what we've got. Now, an interesting thing has happened, though, that I was not expecting. I, I can only say half I was not expecting. I'll explain what I mean by that. It was clear to me that this year was mission critical for several franchises. The Dodgers got to Game 7 of the World Series and lost at home. Remember when it was rare to lose Game 7 of the World Series at home? It hadn't happened since 1979. From 1979 to 2013, or from, I'm sorry, from 1980 to 2013, every time there was a Game 7 of the World Series, the home team won. And then the Giants won on the road Game 7 2014, the Cubs won on the road Game 7 World Series 2016, and Houston won on the road Game 7 World Series last year. So three of the last four years, we've had that happen. But of those franchises... The Royals got to win a World Series, so that's taken care of. The Indians, mission critical for them to win a World Series, to justify this great run that they've had recently. For the Dodgers, mission critical for them to win the World Series, to justify this piles and piles of division titles they've won, and possibly to put the crowning achievement on Clayton Kershaw's career, which only is missing a World Series title. The, Houston, the, the, the Washington Nationals 
Oh, they can't get out of the, the division series. But it's critical, especially with the specter of losing Bryce Harper hanging over the team. You know, those are the franchises where there's a certain amount of desperation to have that title that can define the run that they've had, be the, the crowning achievement of the franchise's history. It's something that the Cubs don't have to worry about. It's something that the Astros don't have to worry about. And why there's not as much pressure on the Red Sox, because they won as recently as 2013. Why there's not the pressure on the Giants, because they've won three championships this year. It's not the pressure on the Cardinals, because they've also won uh, in this decade. Three championships this decade is what I meant to say for San Francisco. The interesting thing that I did not see happening at the one-third mark of the season, is which team would have the biggest cushion. Now, I did pick the Milwaukee Brewers to win the National League Central. I did. I thought they were a good team last year. They were eliminated the final weekend of the season. I thought they made some improvements. I thought the Cubs were going to regress. And not be as strong as they were for the last bunch of years. And with that, I thought the Brewers were going to take advantage. Now, the National League Central has been kind of stunning. The Brewers, as I predicted, are in first place right now. The Cubs are in second place right now. The Pirates, uh, who won again today, are three games above 500 and hanging around. Cardinals are also hanging around, too. I felt the Cardinals were going to be a good team, too. The Pirates having a winning record at the one-third mark is kind of stunning and makes me think that they should be one of those teams that says, hey, if there's a low cost, I'm not talking about trading for Manny Machado or Cole Hamels, who are probably going to be the two biggest trade chips on the block in this, uh, in you know, down the stretch this year, but, you know, to fill in, a, patch a hole here and there and see how long they can stay above 500 would be a quality year for Pittsburgh. But the Brewers have the best record in the National League. The only teams with a higher winning percentage than the Milwaukee Brewers as of this recording are the Red Sox and Yankees, who have yet to lose 20 games. The Brewers have lost 21 games, but they're playing 632 ball at this point. 632 over 162 games is 102 wins. Do I think the Brewers are a 102-win team? I don't know. They have the biggest cushion right now. Now, granted, it's only two games ahead in the loss column of Chicago. It's four and a half games in the standings. And Milwaukee is doing this with not, you know, you, you take a look at the team, how they're built right now. Now they're getting a, a you know quality year out of Travis Shaw so far. They're getting very good production out of uh, Lorenzo Cain, who's been a quality pickup. Jesus uh, Aguilar is fine. He's doing a good job. Manny Pena, their catcher, is doing a fine job. But they don't have and and they've been you know they get some pop from Domingo Santana. Uh, Ryan Braun's hit a few home runs this year. Eric Thames hit a few home runs before he was you know before he got injured. But there's not; they don't have an MVP caliber player on this team. No, you know, I mean, Christian Yelich is 
probably going to be one of the is probably going to make the All Star team. Um, you know, Yelich and Kane are making up a quality outfield, but neither one of them are putting up the kind of numbers that oh my god they're carrying the team, they're carrying the league, and they certainly don't have a Cy Young contender. Shashin, Anderson, Guerra, Davies. I mean, they're they're all. Eh. There's, I mean, you look at their ERA pluses. I mean, Guerra's the best one, and he's not spectacular. You know, they've been getting, they've got a couple of good solid starts out of, you know, uh, you know, out of, uh, um, you know, Brandon Woodruff, but he's hurt now. You know, Freddie Peralta looked good in his first start, mediocre the second start. What they have is a lockdown bullpen. You know, if it's funny that you know Josh Hader is probably their MVP, you know, with his 62 strikeouts and 10 walks in 31 and a third innings. But don't, you know, don't forget Jeremy Jeffress is doing well. Matt Albers is pitching well. Dan Jennings is pitching well. Um, you know, uh, Jacob Barnes is pitching well. Their bullpen has been locked down. But they're right now a team with, you know, good hitters, and an okay rotation and a great bullpen in this National League is on pace to win 100 games. They are on pace to win 100 games with lots and lots of room for improvement. And I was talking about what the, you know, the, the legacy of a championship for those franchises that I just mentioned. You know, the Nationals, the you know, the Dodgers and the Indians. But the Brewers, this franchise has never won a World Series. They've only been to one World Series when they were an American League team and they lost to St. Louis. The team in 2011, which got to the National League Championship Series and also lost to St. Louis, won 96 games. That is the, hot, that is the pinnacle for the Brewers. That's the highest win total for this franchise, which was the Seattle, Mar- the Seattle Pilots for one season, and ever since 1970, have been the Milwaukee Brewers. This is a franchise that has had four trips to the postseason. Once as a wildcard team in 2008, pennant winner in 82, in the split season of 81, and then to the National Championship Series in 2011. This had Hall of Famers, you know, obviously, you know, Yount, obviously, uh, Molitor, um, Raleigh Fingers went through there, Cecil Cooper, you know, great players have played there. But Milwaukee, the Brewers, are looking suddenly at a year that could be their defining year. And for a franchise in a city like Milwaukee, Similar to a franchise like Kansas City, a championship this year could be could give a generation their greatest memory as a fan. That could be the greatest moment for a fan base that could last 10, 15 years if they win the World Series. I mean, the amount of goodwill that the Kansas City Royals have from their you know, from that championship that they won in 2015, and the fact that they kept enough of them so that for the next few years when you went there, you, you saw some familiar faces. 
What if that happens for Milwaukee this year? Now, let me tell you, one of the reasons I would like to see Milwaukee win the World Series is similar to why I want to see the Washington Nationals win the World Series, is to to erase a muddled way to talk about a championship legacy. What I mean by that is Washington, the city of Washington, Washington, D.C., has a World Series title. The 1924 Senators, the franchise that's now the Minnesota Twins, won the World Series in 1924. So the city of Washington has a championship, but the franchise known as the Nationals does not. Similarly, the Milwaukee Braves won the World Series in 1957. The city of Milwaukee has had a World Series winner more recently than the city of Cleveland and Washington. But that is a legacy that's attached to the Braves and not something that Atlanta Braves really give a, you know, the Atlanta Braves fans give a crap about because they did that in Milwaukee, much like they don't care about the 1914 World Series that was won in Boston. So Milwaukee has this sort of phantom world championship that was won in 1957 on a franchise that's no longer there. So if the Brewers win the World Series, it makes it much easier to, to understand what that legacy is. They won, The Brewers won the World Series. Boom. And in a year like this, where the National League seems to be bunched together, This is the kind of year that can produce a surprise pennant winner. I mentioned 2006. It's hard to call the Cardinals a surprise team because they were always contending. But they were a lousy team that year. They were barely above 500. And they happened to beat the Padres that year. And they happened to catch the Mets napping in a Game 7. And then catch a, a rusty Detroit Tigers team in the World Series. And boom! Cardinal fans got their title. And the very next year, boom, it went to the Colorado Rockies, who got their butts kicked in the World Series, but that pennant gave Rocky fans a lot of goodwill for a bunch of years. I'll get to the Rockies some other time, not in this podcast, but in in a later episode. But the Milwaukee Brewers could be that type of franchise that takes advantage of a National League that suddenly isn't as strong as it was last year. Now, another thing that could happen is the Nationals could very well right the ship. You know, the, the clunky start that they got off to, they could run the table, get there, and finally get all the way to the World Series, and people forget the Brewers were even in the postseason. But for a franchise like Milwaukee... With a window of opportunity that's available, this has to be a year where you think, okay, let's take a good long look at what we need to do to fix whatever holes we have on our team so we go through the next third of the season at this level, close or at least close to this level. They're on pace to win 100 some odd games. If they can get to the two-third mark on pace to win the mid to high 90s, you know, don't fall back too much. Then we could be looking at a Brewers team that becomes a franchise-defining moment. And you look at them, you know, they, 
They need another starting pitcher. Now, if Jimmy Nelson comes back from, you know, from Tommy John surgery and every, or whatever, he had a surgery that he missed a, a, a gigantic chunk of this year. Um, you know, if he comes back and pitches the way he does, but well, that's, you know, that's expecting a lot from a pitcher who's been injured. You know, if Freddie Peralta comes up and it shows, oh, hey, you know what? He does belong in the big leagues. Fine. But if Chris Sarcher is available, if Michael Fulmer is available, Cole Hamels has the Brewers on his no-trade clause, but, you know, fill in those holes. Fill in those holes and see if you can get an everyday infielder to fill in, you know, some of the injuries they have there. Go to your farm. See what you have. You know, bring up all your best prospects now. See if you have the equivalent of what the Red Sox had with Ben Attendee in 2016 or Devers last year. We're saying, hey, we had a hole, and it turns out we had the solution there. Bring them up, see what you got, and then make a bold move. You know, in the Brewers went to the World Series in 1982, and it looked like they were going to be a powerhouse team for many years. And they didn't make the postseason for the rest of that decade and for all the 90s and for most of the 2000s. And when they got to within striking distance in 2008, they took their best prospect and sent him packing to Cleveland in the deal that brought in CC Sabathia. And Sabathia basically pitched the Brewers to the postseason almost by himself. Now, they didn't get beyond the division series. The Phillies wound up beating them and wound up winning the World Series in another franchise-defining moment. But for Brewers fans who had gone from 1982 to 2008 without a single trip to the World Series, and they hadn't even contended since 1992, that they finally had a year. It's like, hey, look at that. We have a postseason. We have memories. We have good things about the Brewers. Instead of them just being a dormant team that stinks every year, that was worth one of the, their best prospects. Now, as it turned out, the prospect they sent, Matt Laporta, turned out to be a bust. They sent off a bunch of players, including Lorenzo Cain, to Kansas City in a trade that ultimately helped the Royals win a World Series in 2015, but that brought in Zach Grinke, which brought them to the do the National Championship Series in 2011. Again, positive memories if you're a Milwaukee Brewer fan. But this is something different. This is a chance to say a crowning moment. This is a chance that you look around and go like, hey, the Dodgers were supposed to be one of the elite teams. They're not. And the Cubs are supposed to be an elite team. And their big acquisition, you Darvish, has been a big bust with a capital bust. So you look at this Brewers team with some of their young players, with some of their players who are, you know, some of the acquisitions that have been playing really well, and some of the, you know, some of the young players that they've, they have if they could package together something for a former or someone along those lines, and I'll say it, I'll say it, if it costs them two of their best prospects to bring in the likes of a Manny Machado, knowing that he's going to be a rental, knowing that he's going to be gone, 
But what if Machado is the difference between advancing in the postseason, getting to the World Series, or not? There almost has to be a sense that it's lined up for Milwaukee to have the greatest year in their franchise's history. Now, am I? is this hyperbole? Could the Brewers regress to the mean? Could the Cubs go on a big run? Remember, the Cubs were in second place behind the Brewers at the All-Star break last year. And the Cubs wound up leapfrogging them, and no one remembers the quality first half that the Brewers had, and maybe this is just the same thing. But the fact that they have the best record in the National League right now and are playing better than the sum of their parts makes me think, huh, get a few better parts, and then we're talking. Then we're taking the World Series monkey off of their back. Then we're talking about the franchise-defining moment for everyone on this team. Is it worth it? Is it worth going for it? I think it is. Now, at this point, I would recommend making the small adjustments, making, you know, acquiring a veteran pitcher and maybe acquiring an infielder. You know, I'm not necessarily making the big, huge splash of Cole Hamels and Manny Machado, but, you know, Jay Happ and Martin Prado and see how that fits. But if this is a chance to be the team, the greatest team in Milwaukee Brewers history, then how can you not go for it? We're a third of the way through this season, and the Brewers could do something extraordinary. I say, keep that in mind. Make the moves that work accordingly, and think about the legacy you can have in the Brewers' history. And finally, make the question of, when was the last time Milwaukee won the World Series? Not be a complicated paragraph. This is the middle part of the season. For the surprise teams, you have to see if the first third was a fluke or something you can sustain. For the disappointing teams, this is the time to right the ship. For the good teams, keep on doing what you're doing. For the bad teams, start calling people up and having them kick the tires on your players. This is the most critical part of the season. The middle part, June and July, to set up the pretenders and the contenders and the teams that make you think, huh, I guess this is their year. So go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaluski. This has been Sully Baseball for the 30th day of May, 2018. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Tipping my hats to everyone in Milwaukee, and you can call me Sully.